He's a United States Army veteran, served in the Green Beret. He stepped on a landmine in Afghanistan, received extensive injuries, was able miraculously return to the battlefield. He's written a book, and his mission continues on in war-torn countries. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders, because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you'll find details about Shatterproof. Joining us from the panhandle portion of Florida. Yes, there's a panhandle section on the western part of the state. Ryan Henderson on the phone. Ryan, thanks so much for being a guest on Law Enforcement. Today's show, very much appreciated. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Yours is a very unique story. And when I was first approached, I was like, uh, not only yeah, but heck yeah, let's get this guy on. You're a retired U.S. Army veteran. You served in the Green Beret, and you were for lack of better words, blown up in Afghanistan. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, uh, 2010. It's hard to describe that in ways that that don't seem harsh. And we're not uh, strangers to having harsh and tough conversations on the show. We have them all the time. Ryan, before we get into your story, let's talk about how you got into the military, how long you served. Um, So basically the military for me was kind of, kind of a path that was going to happen groomed by my dad for years. But, you know, he obviously, he gave me the option at 18. He said, I can basically go out and do whatever I want to do. Um, he highly recommends the military, but he, um, he made it pretty clear that I couldn't stay there because if I, uh, if I stayed there, then I was going to be that guy at 42 years old at the gas station, pumping gas, talking about my, my senior year on the football field, you know, stuff like that. So you, know, you had I, to go. I look back and say, I should have gone in the, in the military when I was a teenager. I, I wanted to go to college and I wasn't lousy at that. I was not good. And all I did was low paid jobs and it was a pain in the butt for my parents. And that's really all I did for three years. Yeah, no, I, um, I mean, for me, yeah, the decision was made that I had to, you know, had to go, but, um, um, in the mid nineties, it was, it was crazy. Like, um, the services really didn't need anybody except for the Navy. So that's, you know, that's kind of what, um, got my path started in the military was, you know, the first branch I chose was the Navy because <laughs> they were really the only people that needed anybody in the mid nineties. How did you go from Navy to army? 
Well, there was another branch in the middle there. I went Navy to break in service to Air Force to Army. So, so you served in three? Yes. Wow. That's a, that's pretty amazing. Most people, I've heard of guys doing two. When I say guys, that means men and women doing two branches of the military. I've never heard of anybody doing three. Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do and <laughs> kind of use the military as a as a place to figure it out. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really that difficult at all jumping around. I mean, once I got out of the Navy, <clears throat> I was out for a couple of years. And so joining another branch, that was simple, but um, from the air force to the army, uh, that was just, you know, I needed a major shakeup in my life. And then um, the air force was um, downsizing certain career fields and the army was taking those downsizing. So that was easy. So you got in the army and then you made the decision. I want to be in the green beret. I want to be in special forces. Most people don't do that. They they don't come with that mindset. My wife and I watched, we talked about last night, buds training, other basic training for special services on, I think it's national geographic or discovery channel one, the other. And it's amazing what they go through to, to even pass the basic training selection process. How did you come about the mindset? This is something I want to do. Um, so I, I mean, when I was in the Navy, I had a, um, you know, I, I went to buds and, and I didn't make it. And so I still, you know, I had that drive that I wanted to do something. I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but, um, the army opportunity rolled around and it was actually something that I had been looking at, um, years prior, but it was a marriage decision that I didn't, didn't join the army, um, went air force instead. And then, you know, when we got divorced, I just went back to what I was going to do in the beginning. But, um, yeah, I guess the mindset behind it all was, um, number one, I wanted, you know, I wanted the challenge. And number two, if, um, I never wanted to be that old man that looked back and wondered, you know, what it would have been like if, you know, if I just would have tried. So I would, I just said, screw it. I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'm probably not going to make it, but you know, at least I can say I tried and then I actually, then, you know, I wound up making it. So <laughs> I think it's a fair yeah. guess to say that you'll never be the old guy who looks back and go, uh, maybe I could have done this. I, I think you've done far more than most people ever imagined they would do in their lifetime. <laughs> yeah. I, um, that was one, that was one of my dad's big things. Um, lessons, I guess growing up was you never, you never want to be that guy that has, I wish I would have, I wish I would have tried this. I wish I would have done that. He said, cause it's a, you know, it's a lonely world for older people because you're looking back at, at wasted life that you never took the opportunities that were, that presented themselves. And now that, you know, you don't have those opportunities. Yeah. You look back and it's just, man, I, I wish I would have fill in the blanks. So I never, you know, that's, that's kind of how I've tailored my life. And yeah, it's, it's revolved in three branches of the service. Um, you know, a couple tryouts at different, you know, special operation units and stuff like that. But, um, that's, that's basically all it, all it boils down to is, uh, you know, um, in the end, because I, you know, I'm a firm believer that the beginning chapter of your life is written and the end chapter of your life is written. Um, when you, when you're born and when you die, that's, that's in God's hands. But the middle pages, you know, of your book of life, it's, it's up to you to fill them in. And in the end, is it going to be worth reading? And so, 
Yeah, I've, that's why I've done the majority of the stuff I've done. Speaking of book, you wrote a book called Tip of the Spear, the incredible story of an injured Green Beret's return to battle. And we will talk about that more. I agree with you. It, yeah, the beginning and end is, is pretty much predetermined. Uh, the rest is totally up to us. And I, I'm also a firm believer in, you know, God can do, can move mountains. Faith will move mountains, but he's going to ask us to do all the work, the heavy lifting. So bring a pickaxe and shovel. And you're going to do uncomfortable stuff to get to where you're at. And I think it's fair to say that you've been through some real uncomfortable stuff, some real painful stuff in your journey. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've definitely had some uh, uh, some bumps and bruises and some wake-up calls <laughs> along the way. That's, that's yeah, that we'll, is for sure. And we'll talk about those in a moment. When you got into Special Forces, your specialty was uh, clearing landmines and IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices. And that's a, been a big thing in combat for quite a while. And you were doing that in Afghanistan, correct? Yes, actually. Um, so as an 18 Charlie or a um, demolitions expert, um, the engineer on the team, it just kind of went hand in hand. My specialty is demolitions, but um, in Afghanistan, it kind of equated over to um, route clearance and IEDs and landmines and stuff like that. So We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Ryan Hendrickson. He is retired United States Army Green Beret veteran. He's also author of the book, Tip of the Spear, the incredible story of an injured Green Beret's return to battle. When we return, we have some really incredible things to tell you about Ryan's journey, including stepping on a landmine and what happened afterwards. Trust me, you don't want to go anywhere. This is some mind-blowing stuff on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll be right back. This would have been our 25th anniversary if he'd said something. We would have gotten help. But now I feel responsible for missing the signs. I don't think the guilt will ever fully go away. Daddy let me wear his helmet so I could pretend to be like him fighting fires. I wish he was here. I want him back. Every year, more first responders die from suicide than in the line of duty. Do you feel like giving up because of PTSD or other symptoms? Call FHE Health at 833-776-776. 1420 to learn about our specialized treatment program for first responders evidence-based therapies for trauma depression and other issues innovative neurotechnologies that relieve symptoms and speed brain recovery peer support groups with others who understand what it's like fhe health can help you show up for the people who depend on you as a happier healthier version of you because life is so much better with you around call fhe health now at 833-776-1420 online at FHEHealth.com. Back to our conversation on the Law Enforcement Today show with Ryan Hendrickson. Ryan is United re- retired United States Army veteran, Green Beret veteran. As a matter of fact, he served in United States Army, U.S. Navy, United States Air Force. He stepped on a landmine in Afghanistan, which we'll talk about in a few moments, He's also author of the book, Tip the Spear, the incredible story of an injured Green Beret's return to battle. That'll give you a hint about what's heading away. Ryan, your story, in so many ways I can relate to being, you know, 18, dad having a conversation with you. Look, you can do whatever you want, but you can't do it here. You know, one of those deals. I, I get mm-hmm. that. And I wish I'd done things differently, but hindsight's twenty twenty. So you went in the Navy first, then the Air Force, then the United States Army, and you went to Green Beret selection, passed that, wound up becoming a demolitions expert, 
and were deployed multiple times to Afghanistan. And this is where things, understandably, get really, really sketchy. Take us to that incident where you stepped on a landmine. Yeah, so my first deployment to Afghanistan was like shortly after I graduated the Q course. I arrived in the 7th Special Forces Group, and um, we were on our way uh, to Afghanistan. It was during the surge in 2010. So fast forward, we were in the uh, Chutu River Valley, which is a Ruzgan province, and it's it, it hugs the border between Ruzgan and Helmand province, real bad area, um, insurgents so, um, using the river valley to um, <clears throat> uh, move guns and drugs and everything else. So, but um, we we had a I mean, I guess you can call it a kind of a permanent um, listening observation post, LPOP, um, along the River Valley there. And we were in fights daily. Um, it's just the way it was. And then there there, there was a basically a, an operation that we were going to clear the entire river. We suspected up to 2,500 insurgents in the valley. So it was a major operation, multiple ODA teams and commando elements and Afghan special forces as well. The operation kicked off September 11th, 2010, and so we start moving to our area that we're clearing, that my ODA is clearing first, um, which was the southern part of the river. And so, you know, now it's zero one zero two in the morning. It's September 12th. We come up to our first set of compounds that um, were were to clear. And, um, we, you know, as with everything you do rehearsals upon rehearsals before you even conduct, you know, before you get the green light at all with your Afghan forces. So as rehearsed, when we got about 25 meters from the first set of compounds to be cleared, um, you know, I told our interpreter, uh, Nick, I was like, all right, man, uh, just like we rehearsed, let's uh, get the guys down there and let's start clearing these compounds. And I turned around and they, they weren't going to move. It's like, hey, what's 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 going on? Why aren't they going to move? They said, well, it's too it's too dangerous. Like, I know that's why we're here. That's that's kind of the whole point, you know. This for your country kind of thing. They said, well, you should go first. You're better trained. It's like, well, yeah. If we were in Texas clearing, I would agree with you. But this is Afghanistan, so let's go. Um, no, they're not moving. So I turn around to tell my partner um, basically what's going on. And he just grabs me by the shoulder and basically says, what is Nick doing? Get him away from that compound. Turn back around and our turp had ran all the way down to the main entry point of the compound or the breach or whatever you want to call it, doorway. And he was trying to, you know, silent because we're still noise and light discipline at this time. He's trying to wave these guys down there, Afghan Rambo, follow me kind of thing. And so, and if you lose your turp, if your turp gets hit, shot, whatever it is, um, you can't communicate with your partner force, and we were legitimately um, there was three to four times the amount of Afghans as Americans, which is normal. So, um, yeah, we we didn't have the numbers to be losing our only turf. Um, so I moved down to to the breach point or the entryway, grabbed by the shoulder, pull him back, and he's like, and then in my own way of letting him know that he's messed up. Um, I, you know, quietly again, I push him back towards, um, our position and say, Hey, we'll, we'll regroup. Um, but don't, don't be pulling this. Um, and you never want to have your back or your sides or whatever your weak points exposed to the unknown. So I turned back into the doorway to cover his advance back. 
um, because we had taken, I mean, we, we had taken a ton of fire from these compounds in the past. So we assumed there was people in them. Um, so I'm covering his pat or his movement back and, um, I see something move in the compound courtyard. So I decide to take a three to four inch step to kind of look around to see, you know, if I could kind of pie behind the uh, wall right there. Cause it was just the entryway with mud hut wall. Um, and right when I stepped a little bit inside the breach, um, I stepped on a pressure plate IED that was inside the doorway. And so that's, uh, that was the beginning. That was <laughs> September 12th, 2010, which pretty much, um, started off the entire, um, valley clearance. I was the, uh, first wounded guy coming out of the valley, but, um, definitely not the last. There was quite a few. First of all, I, I can't imagine I, I my, my wife and I, we've watched these shows then like there's one about, uh, camp Keating. I have relatives named Keating and the firefights they were in. And I, I find that mm-hmm. just, I, I can't, wrap my head around that kind of intensity, that kind of life and death threats, that kind of violence. I can't. And I've been through a lot of stuff in my, my years. So when mm-hmm. you stepped on this, was there a moment when you went, uh-oh? So it was actually crazy with how the human body reacts because at first I didn't know what happened. And so um, I just remember I was on the ground and I couldn't get up. I couldn't move getting angry because was, why can't I move? And I couldn't breathe um, because of all the dust and the ammonia from the HME and everything like that. I couldn't breathe. And I was like, and my first thought that came to mind is uh, if I don't get fresh air, I'm going to suffocate, but why can't I move? It didn't, nothing hurt yet. I, I didn't feel pain or anything like that. Um, and I, I didn't know like the explosion to me just sounded like a very loud pop everybody else it rocked the valley but to me it just sounded like a pop i guess it was because i was in the middle of it but um yeah it, it took i mean i i remember laying there and finally i just you know was like hey calm down man see what's going on and as the dust started to clear um that's when i mean it's still and uh, granted it's i'm talking for minutes but this is seconds yeah. but as the dust starts to clear I looked down at my right leg and my boot is at a 90 degree angle to my leg. And I was like, huh, that's, that's really weird. I don't, why would my boot be doing that? Cause your mind can't comprehend that. You know, you're nothing, <laughs> nothing about it makes like, sense, oh. Ryan. It's, you know, I, I've been through stuff and, and the, the thought process is so illogical and you try to explain it to people and they're like, what, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense at all. So when you say my response was what the heck is going on? This isn't right. Yeah. I mean, your, your mind can't comprehend it because it's, you know, may, maybe a paramedic or a first responder, they can car- comprehend something like that. Cause they, maybe they see car accident victims and stuff like that. But for me, yeah, I've definitely had seen guys blown up before that, but I've never seen myself blown up. So I'm looking down at my leg and I was, and I just was like, wait a second, that I don't remember taking my boot off. Why is my <laughs> boot kind of you know um just over there off to the side we're so gonna talk about my right there's so much more to talk about this is the law enforcement Today show return our conversation with ryan hendrickson in just a few moments don't go anywhere we will be right back
Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. Hey folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for law enforcement today radio show when you get there click like and follow as click like and follow law enforcement today radio show on facebook after a conversation on law enforcement today's show with ryan hendrickson united states army veteran he also served in the navy air force he's a green beret veteran and he was injured when he stepped on a landmine while serving in Afghanistan before he went to break. And by the way, he's author of the book, Tip of the Spear, the incredible story of an injured Green Beret's return to battle. You got me on the edge of my seat, Ryan, listening to this. The one thing that came to my mind is, is I never thought anything bad would ever happen to me. And when something bad started happening, like it's like unreal. It doesn't seem, why would this be happening to me? Why would they do this to me? They don't even know me. Did those mm-hmm. thoughts cross your mind when you're you, all of a sudden you realize that, hey, my leg is really damaged, my foot's damaged, I stepped on a landmine? Did you ever think, why me? I did. I did. It, um, it's it's very easy to p- – people have been wondering for years, and I think this is what draws um, a lot of young men into um, combat or military service is for that opportunity to – to answer the question, what would I do if somebody's trying to kill me? How would I react if somebody's trying to kill me? Um, so that's, I think that is kind of uh, a lot of a lot of men in in the world. They they have that question, and I think it's it's been a question that has been there for years, um, if not if not forever. But you don't actually, your brain can't comprehend somebody trying to kill you. It's not natural. Um, well, I mean, I, I guess killing is kind of natural, but it's not your, your, your brain can't comprehend, um, the fact that somebody actually wants to take your life. Like this device was there to kill me. Um, why? Like, what? you know, um, and so, yeah, no, I definitely, I went through the, you know, that was later, later on, uh, down the line, but I definitely went through the full range of emotions of, you know, why are you trying to kill me kind right. of thing? But then you look at the obvious of it and it's like, oh yeah, cause I'm killing you. One uh, of the things that, that you said that really resonated with me was I got really angry uh, because at times where people had tried to kill me or do serious bodily harm, I got really angry in response. It was, mm-hmm. I don't mean, and I try to explain to people and I can't find the right words. It's almost like a primordial anger that's uh, it, it's born out of self survival. I I don't know where it comes from, and I don't get like that in everyday life. Were you that angry, or was it just you were ticked off? Uh, no, I was I was pretty angry for the fact that somebody wanted to keep me from going home uh, to my family, and and so yeah, it was it was it was very um, yeah I um, that 
I was very, <laughs> very angry um, yeah. after I actually figured out what happened. Cause again, I mean, it took, it took a little bit for my brain to actually comprehend what had just happened until I, you know, reached behind my right knee, pulled my leg up and my boot flopped over the side. And I saw Tib and my fib sticking out of my pants. And then I was like, Oh, Oh uh, yeah, that's what happened. And that's, then it all, you bricks. when you realize how bad your injuries were. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was at that point when, because again, I just, my, um, my boot and my foot just looked so awkward and I just couldn't figure out why it was just kind of stand or, you know, sitting off to the side of my leg. And then once I, you know, pulled my leg up from behind my knee, cause you got to think I have body armor on, I have a demo backpack on, so I'm pretty weighted down, but yeah, once I pulled my leg up and actually looked and my boot just kind of flopped over the side, that's, that's when I was like, Oh, Okay. And then that's when the pain hit and, you know, it was, it was just like a, a Mack truck and, oh, okay. This is the pain that you're supposed to feel. So, so I'm imagining yeah. from watching films and watching news reports in Afghanistan, when you're injured in battle like that, you're, you're life flooded somewhere. Uh, they do initial medical procedures on you and then you go to, to Germany. Is that what happened to you? Yeah, it actually, so to get me from Afghanistan to Germany, it took them, it, it took them almost a week. It was like five days, which is very long. Um, but I had lost a lot of blood and, um, I, I had different infections that were, that were going on. But, um, yeah, my, my route back to the States went from, it went basically from, um, battlefield to Tarenkaut to Kandahar to, to, uh, Kabul to Germany to, um, Brooks Army Medical Center in San Antonio. So and, that that was pretty much where I um ended up. And and your initial assessment from the doctors, the team there, what what did they say was a prognosis with your injuries? Um the best that I can remember it's I mean, because I was a battle so my my casualty um collection card has below the knee amputee on it. Uh I'm not exactly sure what kept all my leg together as far as why they did that. Um, I think it had something to do with all the infections and all the wound vacs that were kind of controlling all that. But, um, but yeah, when I got to San Antonio, the, to the best of my memory, um, yeah, it was, it, it, it was pretty much this, you know, stand, I mean, a lot of guys in 2010 were getting wounded um, there, and the hospital was full of double, triple, you know, single amputees and everything like that. So, but it was, I was just pretty much in the amputee pool. Just, they were trying to figure out what to do with me because, um, I had a lot of tissue still there because when it comes to amputation, um, my doctor told it to me like this. He said, I can fix any bone problem. Um, I can fix any destruction to a bone. I can't fix tissue. And the IED that I stepped on was pretty clean, whereas in it cut straight up through my foot. So it blew my foot in half and it exited out at my calf. Um, it didn't, you know, and so, yeah, the, the leg was hanging on by skin and muscle tissue, but there wasn't a lot of tissue damage. And so, and so that's when, 
um, all of a sudden the question came up, Hey, we're, we're in this phase of we're the limb salvage, you know, we're doing these limb salvages now, um, we're beginning it, all the research into limb salvage and, and studying limb salvage and whatnot like that. And maybe you don't need to lose this leg, but, um, you're pretty much going to be the poster boy for limb salvage because we've never salvaged a limb as bad as yours. We would basically be reattaching your leg. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I, um, I guess I didn't walk into it. <laughs> you you <laughs> didn't have a whole lot of choices. It. Your choices were bad or bad. Yeah. And so, yeah, the limb salvage program and they said, Hey, it's a very small chance that this will work, but if it works, um, it's, it's, it's going to help with research. It'll rewrite limb salvage. Um, you know, uh, I guess, medical exploration or whatever you want to call it. And it'll help a lot of people. And if it doesn't work, well, you never really had a leg anyway. So we'll just take it off like you were going to have. And so what do you want to do? Dude, you and- had this conversation so casually. I, you, <laughs> I don't mean that as an insult or offensive. It's like, this is major stuff. And you're like, this is the way it was. Yeah. I mean, there's... <clears throat> I I don't know. I've had years, you know, this was 2010 and I've definitely gone through the full, I guess, range of emotions from being extremely angry to being a victim, to being entitled, to feeling sorry for myself, to taking control of my life again, to using this injury to, you know, help other people. And because I have gone through, you know, this full range of emotions and life changing, you know, um, I guess minds, mind states. Um, it's easy for me to talk about because now I'm at a point in my life when I can use this injury and the, and the mental, um, minefields, I literally that I had to go through because of this injury, I can use it to help other people. And we're going to take a short break on that note. This is law enforcement today's show. When we return really amazing things from Ryan's story. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of law enforcement today. You don't have to anymore. Because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return conversation with Ryan Hendrickson on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. Ryan is the United States Army veteran. He also served the United States Navy, Air Force. He's a Green Beret. And in 2010, well, I believe it was, he stepped on a landmine and in Afghanistan, and his leg was really severely damaged. Before we went to break, and by the way, he's the author of the book, Tip of the Spear, The Incredible Story of an Injured Green Beret's Return to Battle. That should tip you off about what's heading your way. 
where we went to break, Ryan, you, you talked about limb salvage. Fast forward, they do this procedure. You go through how much, how long was your rehab? So that that's that's what was actually pretty miraculous about the whole um, process was from my my rehab process was about fourteen months, which it kind of sounds long, but it's not very long for basically having a limb reattached. Um, so I started getting a, a little name, you know, uh, Wolverine because of how, how quick I was healing and, um, and just taking to all the procedures, whether it was skin graft or, or growing back a couple inches of my, of my tibia, um, my bottom of my foot repairing all kinds of stuff. So, so yeah, it was, it was about 14 you're, months. You're a miracle. And, you know, I'm not lost on the fact that, the the surgeons, the medical teams, the doctors, the nurses, the physical therapists, they're all part of the miracle too. So, but here's the really stunning part of your story. You were able to return to full duty after all this. Kind of. Kind so, of. Well, um, how many people <laughs> step back into the the bad zone after something like this? Not a whole lot. Yeah. No, I, um, yeah, I, I, I found my way back to combat. We'll, we'll put it that way. But no, after I was released from Brooks Army Medical Center, um, I was able to return to limited duty on a waiver. So I was medically retired. I fought the medical retirement and then got a, um, a, a continue on active duty waiver, which is a co-ad waiver. And I could return to my unit, but I'm non-deployable, can't be on my feet longer than such amount of time and all this other stuff, desk job. And then I go through um, different physical therapy options that special operations have and just kind of prove myself there. Unit goes back on a deployment to Afghanistan and I just kind of fit in where I get in. Basically, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm Ryan. Nobody really knows me anymore because the unit, my, my, my company is in Afghanistan and I'm supposed to be with them. And thankfully enough, it was like, oh, yeah, we, we got a C-17. Um, you're leaving this day. So That's pretty amazing, to be totally honest. Uh, you know, man-to-man, that is a, a, an amazing feat. And I get why you'd want to do that. I understand from from other people talking about it. I'm still blown away by your commitment. Okay, I'm going to go back. And was it, I want to show them, or was it a sense of loyalty that I can't leave them behind? What was it that drove you? Um, there was, I mean, there's a bit of, of all that, but a lot of it was unfinished business. Um, the biggest thing for me was I, after I stepped on the IED, um, we could intercept the Taliban radio communications and, and they were celebrating and, and playing that, that stupid music that they play for, you know, when they when they get a victory or whatnot. And I, and I made up my mind, you know, laying there that day that I was going to come back and, and you didn't beat me. Um, and so, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of that and it's just, you know, the camaraderie and me wanting to be back with, you know, my, my brothers, because, um, if I could do anything to make sure that they don't go through that pain that I went through, then, you know, that, that I wanted to do that. But, but yeah, it was, um, it was, it, it was definitely a lot of that, but yeah, it's from, um, 
uh, I getting blown up September 2010 to um, being back in Afghanistan on an ODA um, March 2012. And I was in the most IED area in Afghanistan at the time, which was Panjway District, Kandahar Province. So, yeah, it was, it was one of those, like, careful what you wish for kind of things. Because you just might get it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm reading my notes. You you were reassigned back to special forces and did another eight deployments, including South America. So, yes, um, I went back to Afghanistan um, five times and then I went uh, South and Central America, I think, four times there. And then when I retired from the army, I went back to Afghanistan twice as a contractor. Oh, my goodness. There's just no stopping you, is there? Uh, I, I, I I'm mean, sure your people and yeah. your family are like, what are you going to do about Ryan? No one can tell this kid nothing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I definitely probably uh, put some gray hairs on, on oh, people's heads. Oh, my goodness. Sure. Yeah. So then you wrote this. You, you got inspiration to write this book, Tip of the Spear, The Incredible mm-hmm. Story of an Injured Green Bray's Return to Battle. How did that come about? So it actually came about as writing therapy. It was actually journaling. Um I had went back to Afghanistan 2016, 17, 18, and 19 as a Green Beret. And uh, so all those deployments in a row, you didn't have a lot of time for self-help. And I needed it because I was having um, anger issues, um, just victimization, entitlement, just this poor me I was going through when, you know, I felt like I, I was owed something. And I was talking to our chaplain one day and he said, you ever thought about just writing things out? Cause my biggest complaint that I had was, yeah, I can go to a bar with a buddy, sit there and we can spill all of our, you know, everything out on the table there. But when you go home and I go home, it's just dead air. Cause right. you know, it, it was just talk. And he said, well, have you ever thought about writing? Like, well, <laughs> no, um, I haven't, but uh 2017 trip, I just, yeah, I just needed to vent and I, figured let me give this writing thing a try and it just started pouring out into journaling um and then after that i you know i just wanted to i had this life story and i had a few people read it and they said man you need to you need to have you need to have this looked at this is really powerful stuff and people need to read it so there's some convincing and um and you know just getting a hold of other military authors and they read the script and it, it just, yeah, it went from there and editor picked it up and said, I would, I would love to edit this. Um, and then an agent got it and he said, Oh yeah, we need to get this out. This has to be a book. People Dude, need to read needs, it. This needs to be um, a movie or a film or something on television, something. <laughs> Cause it's not a, I mean, that's the thing is the cover and the, and, and the name of it, it sounds like a chest pounding war story, but it's not. It's it's about overcoming adversity, um, yeah. mental health, and it's yeah. very raw. And I think the thing it's that's really powerful raw. about this, Ryan, is you, you said something about journaling. And my experience has been this. I'm not a big journaler now. However, it's impossible for me to lie to myself and write at the same time. I can lie to mm-hmm. myself when I'm talking. I can diminish. I can justify. I can minimize myself. But when I'm writing, mm-hmm. something happens. It, it taps into a more emotional part of my brain. I don't know what it is. And it becomes very honest. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you completely. That book, it's and it, it, and it does. I mean, there's points in my life where... I read back in the book and I'm just like, wow, I was such a child at that point or, or man, I can't believe, 
the mental health issue, you know, the struggles that I had. Oh yeah. It's, it's very raw. It's where can it's, it's people not a, get the book? So Amazon is an awesome um, platform to get in on. It's also sold in major bookstores, Barnes and Noble, stuff like that. But majority of the people, I would say Amazon and you can find the link for it at Ryan M Hendrickson.com. So, and the reason that website is important is you are raising money to go to like Ukraine, but you got to to clear landmines to help the people there. Can people <laughs> donate on your website? Yes, they can. Yeah, this will be my second trip back to Ukraine and um, <sighs> fundraising for landmine removal, landmine and booby trap removal, so civilians can get back into their areas and start to rebuild. What is your website? One more time. Ryan M. Hendrickson.com. Now, Ryan, is that spelled with a Y or an I? R-Y-A-N-M-H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S-O-N.com. And you are going to be heading to Ukraine to do that. And when you get back, we got to do two things. Uh, by the way, I'm in Florida. Uh-huh. Ryan's in Florida. We got to get together for coffee. And I might be the, yeah. the old guy that looks at you like, oh, my goodness. I promise I will talk to you like a normal guy. But we got to have you back on the show. I really want to examine the the mental health aspect of your recovery. Ryan, thanks so much for your service and being guest on Law Enforcement Today's show. Very much appreciated. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on there. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, Please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.